concerning the Eldar. Now, it appears upon Terra it is currently vogue to use Xenos pronunciations of words such as Eldari and Drukari. Now, having been one to always keep a foot of trends in society, I will now do the same. This is crucial to maintain one's standing in the right circles. The Eldari. The preeminence of the human race has been asserted fervently and convincingly by the Adeptus Terra, the Adeptus Ministorum, and in the edicts of the God-Emperor himself. The galaxy is rightfully ours, and it is only by the preservation and expansion of the Imperium that life of any kind will persist. Beyond the Empiric Vale, denizens of the warp boil and teem, preparing to subsume all that is natural and right. Countless civilizations had risen and fallen in the millennia before the Emperor rose to power, and all of them failed where he has succeeded. We see the echo of these things in the bizarre architecture that litters so many worlds and the fragments of legend that filter down through our outlying colonies. Despite this failure, or perhaps because of it, many of these elder races view the Imperium with arrogance and disdain, clawing at us from the dark like a withered corpse that has been reanimated by hate. Perhaps the bitterest and most deranged of these prehistoric species is the Aldari. Long ages before the emergence of humanity, these conceited, vain creatures destroyed themselves in a bitter civil war. The details of this conflict are known only to the Aldari themselves, but the resultant schism is still visible in the tattered remnants of their race. Contrary to the most commonly held opinion, there is not one single strain of Eldari, but three. In the heat of battle, it is impossible to discern the distinct types, but through my skills as a diplomat and ambassador, I have been able to observe these beings up close and even converse with them. As I have explained repeatedly to Inquisitor Arzen and other members of the Order Xenos, these communications have only ever taken place with the express purpose of learning how better to defend ourselves against this bitter, poisonous race. I am not one of these Xeno-apologists who wishes to work alongside these creatures as allies. I merely see the value in knowing what drives them. First, let me share what I have learned about the sadistic strain known as the Drukhari. The Drukhari, Elderix Malum. In Drakari society, there is no respect for breeding or ancestry. They pride themselves on the supposedly meritocratic nature of their culture, in which only the cruelest, bravest, and most cunning rise to the top. Rather than hiding their court intrigues and treacheries, they have made them a basis for governance. As a result, they have developed murder and deceit into a fine art. Like all Eldari, these cruel warriors are preternaturally fast and agile, moving with a speed beyond the comprehension of even the most athletic human. All of them are tall and slender, but they are not gangly or willow. Their limbs are like knotted steel, and they are masters of a martial art that appears almost sorcerous at close quarters. Perhaps more terrifying than their speed and strength, however, is the array of weapons they carry. Projectile weapons that fire toxin-coated splinters and blades edged with poisons 
that induce agony as they kill. If there is a weakness in these whipcord-thin killers, I would say it is their desire to savour the torment of their victims. They are addicted to pain and suffering, and their strategies are often engineered with cruelty in mind more than victory. During my incredible, disturbing meeting with Vorsum, I was able to engage with a being few humans are ever likely to encounter, even on a battlefield. I am still haunted by the metallic stink of dried blood that leaked from his armour, and the whole encounter seems like a half-remembered nightmare. A Vorsum wore an ornate bone mask as we spoke, so I never saw his face, but after years of diplomatic and ambassadorial work I have learned to gauge a person's nature by such subtle indicators as body language and tone of voice. Vorsum's preeminence was immediately apparent. I would surmise that the rank of Archon is equivalent to that of Lord Commander of the Astra Militarum, or perhaps even higher. His mind was a polished blade, cold, precise, and lethal. But I also sensed something else in him, a kind of desperate mania. It was as if besting his rivals and achieving untrammeled power was not enough. He seemed hunted and distracted, as though seeking something he would never find. During our exchange, he alluded to a dark city, a hidden realm in which the Drakari can return when they wish to pursue their perverse interests in safety. Before redirecting the conversation, he whispered the name Komora, but I could not tell you if he was referring to the city itself or a regent who rules there. One thing I gleaned was that the dark city is a slaughterhouse. The Archon spoke of murders, acrobatic gladiators who feed the appetites of their masters with displays of wanton cruelty, fighting in vast, purpose-built arenas. This chimes with the actions of the Drakari I've observed on the Blackstone. Even in the most Stygian pits they fight as though performing for an audience, pirouetting through shadows with a flamboyance that would be beautiful if it did not elicit a chorus of agonised screams. On a previous expedition, I thought I had discovered a form of winged Drakari on the fortress, having observed Eldari figures soar from its angular vaults to slice through my guards. But Voysum laughed at my naivety, explaining I had fought normal Drukari who had submitted themselves to brutal surgery. Uh, Vorsham's breath quickened as he described the flaying of skin and the cracking of bones that was required. The Archon clearly considered me beneath contempt, but despite their oft-repeated claims of superiority, it is apparent to me that Aldari are far too degraded to have stood a chance of thriving. The winged creatures I saw are only one example of the race's corruption. Here, on the crowded walkways of precipice, I have glimpsed Drakari whose bodies have been butchered and remade into mindless, faceless, chemically enhanced brutes. What future could there have ever been for a race that so delighted in torturing itself? The Archon was surrounded by sycophants and flatterers, who would clearly have slit his throat, given half a chance, but he showed no sign of concern, lounging decadently as though surrounded by honest, trustworthy subjects, which they clearly were not. I wondered how he kept his grip on power, but then my attention wandered to one of his attendants. As with all Eldari, her features were fine-boned and delicate, with flawless alabaster skin, and she had clearly taken great pains over her appearance, wearing sables and silks that were of exquisite quality 
Every member of the Archon's court was at pains to avoid her, not standing near her or even meeting her gaze. Here was the Archon's power, I realised. She made no outward show of command, however. There was an almost feline beauty to her. She seemed more like a courtesan than a warrior, and each time she spoke her words caressed and enticed me, making me wish I could talk to her alone, even though I had no doubt she would delight in killing me, given the chance. As the talk ranged from topic to topic, I began to notice the peculiar quirk of the Archon. Each time I steered the conversation towards a potentially sensitive area, uh, Vorsham glanced at his velvet-toned adviser, at which point she would give a slight nod, or her expression would harden in disapproval. Even he deferred to her. Eventually, I deduced that the balance of power lay more in her favour than with the supposedly omnipotent Archon. I sensed, for example, that it had been her decision to come seeking the Hall of Strife, and her suggestion that I be allowed aboard their ship, the Blade's Caress. As I had this revelation, I happened to meet her gaze, and in her eyes I saw a mysterious flash of hunger. This intriguing look made me all the more desirous of a private interview with her, and I was on the point of inventing a ruse to enable such a meeting when I noticed something strange that Grek was doing. The crew had taken one of his caged insects from his body armour and was feeding it, piece by piece, to an arachnid he had taken from another cage. Grek, uh, my crute ally, is as unknowable as the masked Archon, so I have no idea if he intended to give me a warning, but as I watched the spider devour the insect, I realised how close I was to being consumed by the complexities of the Jakari court. It's quite possible he was just bored. His mind seems to wonder at the most inopportune moments. I once observed him trying to converse with a rat while we were being fired upon by a horde of cultists. I recognised in my desperate eagerness to be alone with the courtesan the same mania I had sensed in the Archon. I made my excuses and left the Drakari vessel as quickly as possible, even now when I recall the hungry look in her eyes. It has a peculiar mix of revulsion and, I'll be honest, longing. The Ashuriani, Eldarix Dolosus. I have gleaned from my researches that one Aldari subspecies inhabits vast, void-faring sanctuaries, like city-states capable of plying the stars. These colossal vessels have been observed by both Adeptus Mechanicus explorators and the ships of the Imperial Navy. There can be no question that these vast starcraft exist, but we can only speculate as to their purpose. Uh, some reports name the Aldari who dwell there as the Ashuriani, and, if anything, they are even more of an enigma than the Drukhari. It is my fervent belief that the Drukhari are driven by singular, if grotesque, motivations. They are roving corsairs who take pleasure in pain and feed on the death of others. It is this rapacious need to induce suffering that drives them to attack the fleets and worlds of the Imperium. But the Ashuriani cannot be so easily delineated. They are equally lethal and callous, but they display such bewildering changes of strategy that their campaigns appear to be conceived by lunatics. I have studied their tactics at great length, but every time I feel as though I am on the verge of glimpsing their plan, it slips away from me. 
they have been known to slaughter millions of innocents, seemingly on a whim, and then, in the same conflict, intervene to save equal numbers of lives. But the more I discover about them, the more I believe they are not insane. Rather, they are working to the precepts of some labyrinthine scheme that only they can comprehend. The Ashuriani are anathema to human life, that much cannot be disputed. We occupy the realms that they squandered. In their eyes, we are mites carpeting a corpse. But that does not make them any less of a threat. With this in mind, I have recorded all I have learned about the Ashuriani. For all their perversities of spirit and vacillations of temper, the Ashuriani are uniquely graceful physical specimens. They stand taller than a human, with long, elegant proportions, and the gait of a skilled dancer or acrobat. To see them move is a fascinating experience. They are both languorous and fast, outstripping even the most quick-footed opponents with a fluid grace, so that their natural nimbleness is not limited by heavy armoured plates. The Ashuriani wear a body glove of what appears to be an animal hide. This covering is supple enough to allow acrobatic moves, but hardens in response to attacks deflecting any kind of low-caliber projectiles. I have encountered Ashuriani several times on the Blackstone Fortress, and I can attest to their incredible dexterity and refinement. I find it a troubling thought that a society so skilled in warfare still lost an empire. In the peculiar melting pot that is Precipice, I have been in the unusual position of observing one of these aliens at such close quarters I was able to make a small character sketch of her. I have been accompanied on several expeditions by an enigmatic creature called Emilian Shadow Guide. She describes herself as an exile who lives apart from the void-born city-states I mentioned earlier. But it is hard to know how literally to take this. She answers my questions with parables that are beautifully clear until I try to write them down. Then I find that her words slip from my fingers and leave me more confused than when I was to begin with. She surveys me with the same magisterial disdain as every other Aldari I have encountered, but I sense that the years she has spent alone amongst non-Aldari have softened her views of humanity. Certainly we have been able to understand each other and even trust each other to some extent, enough to survive several expeditions to the fortress at least. She is an enigma, but I shall do my best to paint a picture of her. There is a tragic quality to Amelian's demeanour as though painful memories are always close to the surface of her thoughts. But she is steely rather than maudlin, as if her personal agonies only make her more determined to succeed. Physically, she is so light and graceful on her feet that she seems to melt into the fortress's shadows, flitting in and out of view like a spectre. Indeed, when she draws her long cloak around her, she seems to disappear completely. If I were a superstitious man, I would swear she is half-spirit. She faces every horror the Blackstone Fortress throws at her, with her impressive nonchalance, and she is the finest shot I have ever seen, picking off enemies with her sniper rifle before I am even aware that we are under attack. As far as I can tell from her gnomic riddles, Emilian is not a typical example of her kind. She lives in a state of self-imposed exile, travelling the galaxy alone. I asked her why this was, but her answers descended into baffling poetry. 
My attaché, Isola, uh, diligently recorded some of Emilian's speech and cross-referenced it with archived Aldari text. Even then, her meaning was often obscure, but I've clarified what I could and included it below. It would appear that not all of the Ashuriani dwell in vast starcraft. Uh, when I spoke of Terra's architectural wonders, because, I confess, I was irked by her haughty manner, she dismissed our temples and cathedrums as tasteless follies, claiming that instead of labouring over plasteel and rockcrete, her people have spent centuries nurturing and growing paradise worlds that she called Lilithan, or Maiden Worlds. She told me that were I to see the wonders of her home, I would believe I had entered a wonderful dream, conjured by the untrammeled vision of a god. I tried to match her cool disdain, but I confess a hankering to see such wonders if they truly exist. As we spoke, I had the unnerving sense that she was peering into my soul, and indeed, uh, the curse of psychic mutation seems particularly prevalent in the Aldari. If I have managed to grasp Emilian's meaning, every single member of her doomed race carries a mental link to the empiric energies of warp space. Perhaps it is this flaw that led to their fall from grace. If that is the cause, then the Aldari are blind to it, seeing psychic mutations as a blessing to be prized rather than a curse to be feared. The most uh, psychically charged individuals amongst the Ashuriani are not purged with holy fire, as they would be in the Imperium, but elevated to a senior rank and allowed to influence the decisions of generals. Emilian described them with great reverence, as prophets and mystics who are able to read the future like a poem and even direct its course with their minds. Some of these warp-tainted souls have managed to transform themselves into living weapons that can unleash the horrors of the Immaterium. Others channel the warp through fearsome war masks that emit a horrific, mind-numbing dim. I experienced this sound firsthand on the Blackstone Fortress, and it filled me with a peculiar paralysis that left me feeling sluggish and confused for several hours, and their screams were not the only weapon. Their appearance was as intimidating as their battle cry, with stylized helms that sported wild, unkempt manes, and with curved glaives that cut through my guard's armour like it was cloth. The Solitaire During one of my expeditions to the Blackstone, I found myself unexpectedly benefiting from the peculiar, capricious nature of the Aldari. I was crossing the Cortis landing deck when it was assaulted by heretical cultists. Each time I encountered these damned wretches, they arrive in larger numbers, and on this occasion, I am ashamed to say, they had me on the back foot. I was down to my last few guards when something happened that was unusual, even by the standards of the Blackstone Fortress. A prismatic smoke filled the embarkation deck, and the heretics began to metamorphose, dissolving into gaudy fumes. The obscene sigils on their flak armour boiled like liquid, and then, to my disbelief, they came to life. The landing deck erupted with hideous winged monsters that roared and turned on the heretics. At the same time, more visions blossomed from the architecture, and a haunting, mournful tune filled my skull, causing me to stumble and fall to the ground. It sounded like hundreds of dulcimers, harmonising with such complex modulation that my sanity began to fracture. I cried out in dismay as the menagerie tore through the heretics, slipping past lasfire and cutting through armour. 
As the cultists fell, the music grew louder until I cried out, attempting to drown out the deranged harmonies. As the last heretic fell, the song reached such a terrible crescendo that I clawed at my skull, spilling blood down my face. I and my remaining men fell to the floor. Then, through the blood, I saw that one of the phantasms had vaulted up to the platform I was on to stare down at me. I was so crippled by the music that I struggled to move. The spectre padded closer, and through my torment I discerned amusement in its eyes. I reached for my splinter pistol and fired. The creature shimmered, and for a moment I saw not a winged horror, but a slender humanoid in a leering, rigid mask. Through the eye holes of the mask, I saw the same look of wry amusement. I fired again, but the masked figure had vanished. I dragged myself to the edge of the platform, still howling at the song in my head, and saw that the monsters had all vanished, snatched up by the smoke as it withdrew. Then, as the last tendril disappeared, the music ceased. Even though I only glimpsed my saviour briefly, I feel sure he or she was some manner of Aldari. So I described the incident to Amelian, asking if she could explain why I was saved. She laughed, but the sound was brittle, and I sensed that my tale had unnerved her. She whispered the word solitaire, but refused to elaborate. Through my conversation with the boastful Xylos Vorsum, I have managed to learn a little of how the Aldari fill their long centuries of life. On their void-born city-states, the Ashuriani have entire castes of artisans, musicians and dancers who create songs and performances of such passion that they have been known to entirely consume audiences, possessing them like an addiction and robbing them of their senses. The Ashuriani build vast auditoria in which to perform works that have been laboured over for thousands of years, pieces that are breathtaking in their beauty, scope and poignancy. Vorsum sneered at these creative endeavours, claiming that his kind, the Drakari, long ago abandoned such ephemeral forms of entertainment. His long fingers brushed against the barbs on his armour as he explained that pain was the only symphony able to stir his heart. Whether it was through physical anguish or mental torment, he required a crueler form of art. He spoke again of the dark city he called home and explained that amongst its greatest wonders are the gladiatorial arenas of the witch cults. The female warriors of the cults have wealthy, powerful patrons who enable them to build vast slaughter temples, sky-scraping tributes to the glory of suffering and murder. Vorsum uh, leant forward in his chair as he described the arenas, his eyes flashing behind his mask. No expense is spared, he explained. Legions of slaves are worked to death over countless decades, producing beautiful citadels of pain. The witch cults ensure that every detail of the design enhances the visceral thrill of watching trained, chemically stimulated warriors tear each other apart. Every part of the buildings, from the pit to the terraces, is designed to move and engage with the action, wrong-footing the combatants even as they appear to be gaining the upper hand. Beneath the fighting there are huge subterranean caverns and cages, housing predators from across the galaxy, each one stranger and more savage than the last, so that no two fights are the same. Vorsham closed his eyes, savouring the memory. There is no greater act of creativity, he whispered. 
than an inventive death. Thus ends the observations of the Eldar race by rogue trader Janus Drake. Thanks very much for watching. Thanks to everybody supporting the channel. Lads, I really appreciate it, particularly in these trying times. If you'd like to support the channel, you can become a YouTube member by clicking that little button down there. You just click that one. Just click it. Or you can become a Patreon or a supporter on Subscribe Star. There's links below. And that's what all these people whose names are flashing by this glorious legion of uh, extremely generous uh, chaps and chapettes. Uh, thank you all very much for the continued support. I'm loving all this Blackstone Fortress stuff. I'll put some links below as well. Again, shill, I know. To the Blackstone Fortress novels uh, written by the same author. I definitely recommend them. They're good little adventure stories. Um, the character of Janus Drake is a, is a beautiful, arrogant, elitist aristocrat who is, I don't know what you say, like... Uh, He's a, but he's a realist, you know, he's a, he's pragmatic. I like that. I like that. His attitudes are fantastic. It's great. Yeah. In one of the novels, like he, he's disgusted by his crew because he sees him eating someone <laughs> and he threatens to shoot him. It's brilliant. It's lovely. But uh, yeah, like nice little asides. He's uh, yeah, he's good. It's good stuff. I recommend. I'll be doing a review of the series um, soon. And uh, I've got a big video on uh, the history of Blackstone Fortresses coming up soon, depending on whenever you're watching this, but more stuff is coming soon. Blah, 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 blah. More stuff is coming soon. Thank you all very much, and uh, yeah, have a good one. See you next time. Ta-ra. Bye-bye.